My family and I were just on a vacation, not this last week, but the week before. We went to the beach, and so we were at the Jersey Shore. More specifically, we were at Wildwood, New Jersey. More specifically than that, Wildwood Crest, New Jersey. And so we love to go to the beach, Caroline and I. We are passing on that love of the beach to our children. Lots of fun things to do in Wildwood. There's, a, I think, America's biggest boardwalk. We have two miles of boardwalk, two miles of teaching our kids about gambling. And the... <laughs> And the claw machine, don't fall for the temptation of the claw machine. Uh, we got to ride a roller coaster, we raced go-karts, we rode bikes, uh, we played in the pool. We discovered this channel in our, in our hotel room that showed westerns all day long. So sometimes it was hard to leave the room. <laughs> but the best part of the trip, for me, my favorite part, was riding waves in the ocean on the boogie boards. Boogie boarding in the ocean. Uh, this year, I made a wonderful investment in my own personal boogie board that's adult size, so I don't have to ride the kids' boogie boards anymore. And so I just had a great time. There were moments where it was me and the three kids out there all riding waves together. I was like, this, I mean, if, you've, if you're parents, you know, if you persevere through those early years in the sand, you're like, finally, here we are, all riding waves together. Um, and so the 12-year-old and the 10-year-old, they're pretty good in the ocean. They can swim. We keep an eye on them, obviously, because it's the ocean. It's the 6-year-old that we really, like, all eyes are on because she can't swim, but she's out there with us. And so um, there's this tension in me, because uh, I'm fairly self-absorbed, of uh, I want to ride waves, and my kids need some protection, but I really want to ride waves. And so my six-year-old, at one point, she said to me, thank you, Daddy, for saving me, because I'm right there next to her. I'm trying to help her catch a wave, like push her out on the boogie board to help her catch it. Um, and so we'd have these sweet moments where she's like, thank you for saving me, Daddy. And I'm like, oh, that'll, that'll preach. I am uh, her father, and I'm saving her. But there were other moments where, like, she can't get the, the best waves, because she's not that tall. And so I'm out here uh, trying to catch the best waves, and I'm still watching her, but I'll like watch her get thrashed, and then I'm like, I mean, if I rode this wave in, I could probably get there faster than running. <laughs> so maybe I should just, and then I get to her, and I scoop her up, and she's whopping salt water out of her eyes, and she's like, Daddy, you said that you would save me. And I said, I'm saving you right now. But Daddy has to catch waves too. Um, but anyway, it was a fun time by all. Uh, Violet loves the ocean and, and loves to do all kinds of those crazy things. Um, we also were swimming right by the lifeguard stand. And so we were just, right there's the lifeguards, there's two of them there, and, and we're swimming there. And that does add a level of comfort to a parent to know, like, we're swimming right in front of the lifeguards. I wouldn't want to be a lifeguard on the beach. Like, such a big body of water, so many people in the water. I don't know how they do what they do, uh, but I'm very grateful that they do what they do. And that is the metaphor that I want us to think about today as we think about God. Now, there's no metaphor that captures all of who God is, but I think it's helpful to think of God as a lifeguard. He guards our life. That's what we're going to see in Psalm 121 today. God guards our life. I want us to see today that we are to be worshiping our guardian. Now, uh, Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We're in a sermon series this summer where we're looking at the psalms of ascent. That's Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 in the book of Psalms. 
We believe that these were songs that the people of God sang as they made their journey to Jerusalem to worship in the temple that sat atop Mount Zion, Jerusalem. And so as they ascended the hill to the temple, they would sing these songs, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And so what I hope it reminds us of as we read these psalms this summer, we've entitled the series Worship on the Way because I wanted to get us in our head that we don't just worship on Sundays as we gather. These songs weren't the ones they sang in the temple. These songs were the ones they sang on their way. And much of our lives is spent outside of God's house here. Most of our lives are spent out there on the way, and we are to be worshiping on the way even when we're not here together with the family of God. So as we worship along the way, we're looking at Psalm 121 and seeing that God is our guardian. As I read Psalm 121 for you, we'll put it on the screens. It's going to be up there in the English Standard Version. If you're reading along in a different version, it's going to sound a little different, and I'll explain that in just a moment. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. So we'll walk through this psalm verse by verse and try to understand what it means for us. But before we do, just a general overview, the theme of it is that God is our guardian. I didn't read the word guardian just then. I read the word keep. So Psalm 121 and all the book of Psalms is ancient Hebrew poetry. So it was written a long time ago in the Hebrew language. And the role of scholars is to take this ancient Hebrew poetry and translate it into English that you and I can understand. And so when we get to this word that the English Standard Version says keep, the New International Version says watches over you. We're wrestling with this word shamar. And it means preserve, keep, watch over, protect, or guard. So all the different translations that might be present in this room today, they're all trying to get to this idea that means preserve, keep, watch over, protect, or guard. God is watching over your life. God is guarding your life. God is protecting your life. God is keeping your life. However you want to think of that, the word guard stands out to me, I think, because I just left the ocean and there were lifeguards. And so God is our guardian and we worship him as our guardian. And so as we look at the psalm together, we look at just verse one. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? So let's put ourselves in the shoes of a traveler on their way to Jerusalem. Now, they could approach Jerusalem from any number of different directions. Perhaps they're approaching from a direction in which there are hills on either side. And perhaps back in those days, you're traveling by foot and you feel vulnerable as you look to the hills on either side of you. And perhaps there's a level of fear in your heart as you pass through this valley and there's hills on both sides and you're a bit afraid. And so you sing this song and you say, I lifted my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? And then he answers it in the next stanza. Well, that's how some people interpret the poetry. Others, though, read this poem and they say, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying, as he looks to the hills, 
he is reminded of his creator. The psalmist is saying creation, as we observe it, will remind us of a creator to worship. That sounds good too. There's really at least a third option as well as you try to understand what the psalmist is communicating. And some think, well, you have to transport yourself back thousands of years. And thousands of years ago, if you were traveling along the way in Israel towards the temple, along the way, you would see on various hillsides or on various mountaintops, altars or temples or poles or places to sacrifice to Baal or Asherah. If you're reading closely in the Old Testament, you'll see whenever the kings of Israel, when they take the throne, they go out and they tear down the high places. It's because in ancient Near East, pagan gods, as well as the one and true living God, would say, you know a good place to sacrifice is on the top of a hill. And so they would put up the Asherah poles there. They would put up sacrifices to Baal there. So perhaps the psalmist is traveling on their way to ascend to Jerusalem, and they're looking around, and as they look at hilltops, they see false gods, altars to false gods. And perhaps the psalmist is saying, where does my help come from? So whichever one of those sounds right to you, I don't know which one it is, but I think they all work. If you're going along the way this week and you sense fear, as you look and you're like, I don't know what lies in these hills and I'm a bit afraid, then you know what you should do? You should ask yourself the question, okay, I have fear, but where does my help come from? And you should be able to answer it. If you go out this week though and you're like, no, no, as I go out this week, as I see creation, as I look at the hills of Pittsburgh, I'm gonna be inspired to worship the creator as I see the creation. Well, that's a wonderful application too. You should run with that. Or if you're in the third camp and you're like, no, no, I think, I think it's the idolatry thing. I think as I go through my life this week and I look around, I'm going to see lots of opportunities to look to other things other than God for my help. And fundamentally, that's what an idol is at its root. It's not just a statue of a Buddha or something. An idol is fundamentally something that you're looking to help you rather than God. And so as you go out about your life this week and you sense some pressure, you're like, ah, I know where to turn to for help. My checkbook, that's where I'll find help. Oh, I'm in pressure this week. I know where to turn to for help. This relationship in my life. I know where to turn to for help this week. I'm feeling this way. I'm going to self-medicate, and that's how I'm going to get my help. Now, those are all good things. Those are all good things. And I can turn to my wife this week and say, I need your help. Will you help me? And then she's a wonderful helpmate, and as she helps me. But you know what we can do? We should be able to pause. We don't do this all the time, but we should be able to pause and say, my wife helps me, and I'm deeply grateful to God for putting her in my life the way that she is because she helps me. Do you see what we did there? She's not an idol. She is an avenue through which God blesses me, and I have given God the glory for her. As I go to my checkbook and I have a need and my help comes from the savings that I have. Well, praise God that he put me in a situation where I could have those funds and it's all because of him. As we live in which a time in which we have all kinds of medication at our disposal, then we can thank God for living in a time and a place in which there are medicines that can help me. But do you see what I just did there? I gave the glory to God and I said my help is coming from God. And he has channeled this help through medicine and through people and through finances. And so that's how we guard our hearts from the idolatry that maybe we're tempted to 
engage in this week as we go along our way, as we look to the hills, our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. As we think about that, it's valuable when we are in situations of crisis and we need help to think of God as our creator. We, we can think of God in so many different ways, right? He's so many different um, meaningful expressions of his love to us, right? He's our savior, he saves us, but we, he is also our creator. And as you think of God as your creator, you should think about the fact that if you need help, your God is so powerful that he just spoke and the world was created. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and and this world came into existence. Like, if God can just speak a miracle to that extreme, then what in the world can he do in your life this week? If you're in need of help and your God just speaks things into existence, then that should give you a level of confidence that your God can help you this week. He made it, he owns it, he rules it, he sustains it. Like I said, I just left the ocean, and so the ocean is on my mind. And as I think back to a week ago, standing on the shore of the ocean, maybe you're like me, but if I stand on the shore of the ocean, I can't help but think about God. And I think about, he's bigger than the ocean. He created the ocean. He separated the waters from the dry land. He filled the ocean with creatures, creatures we haven't even discovered all of them. We haven't even explored the depths of it. He filled the sky with birds. You hear those waves crashing and they never stop. They never stop. The ocean is vast, all covering our globe. And I am just happy to stand there and say, I trust in you. You are infinitely bigger. You are infinitely more powerful. And I am happy to trust in you. You're keeping the world spinning. You're keeping the waves crashing, not me. And I'm so happy to trust in you and call out to you for help as I need it. And so that's, that's the, how we're to frame up our lives as we go out on the way. And then we say in verses three and four, remember the traveler is singing this song as he travels on foot up to Jerusalem. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So the traveler is singing a traveler's song. He won't let our foot slip. He doesn't sleep. So as you're traveling to Jerusalem, all those days on the road, on dirt paths, on your feet, you have to sleep along the way. And as you sleep, you're vulnerable in your travels because you're not in a holiday inn. And there you are, vulnerable on the roadside, on your travels, and you're reminding yourself, I'm going to go to sleep. But God isn't. So it should give the traveler some comfort and some hope and some confidence. And our world is drastically different than their world. And yet God wants you to experience the same comfort and hope and confidence that they would have experienced as well. He would want you to have this confidence that, listen, he's guiding you along the road to Jerusalem. And he's guiding you along your road as well. And listen, he doesn't guide you down bad roads. He guides you down good roads. And so there are roads that are like full of gravel on the cliff's edge, and if you slip off, you fall. Listen, God is guiding you. That's not where God is going to guide you. He's going to keep your foot from slipping. He's not going to let you fall off. He is your protector and your uh, guardian, your provider, and you can trust in him as you go along the way this week, 
even when you sleep. He doesn't. But if you're like me, as I read this verse, I can't get past the line, because you read in different translations, it, it says, he will not let your foot slip. Well, that's hard for me to understand because we slip all the time. We stumble through this life of faith. We are always slipping and stumbling and falling. That is what it is to have the Christian experience. And so it can't mean that no bad thing ever happens to us. It can't mean that God's our protector and we never trip and fall. So, so what does it mean? Well, one way that helped me sort of understand it a bit is, is to shift the metaphor a bit back to that lifeguard on the beach. So if we shift the metaphor to a lifeguard on the beach, the lifeguard on the beach doesn't keep me from all of the dangers of the ocean. The lifeguard on the beach isn't protecting me from the jellyfish that are swimming all around me. The lifeguard on the beach isn't protecting me from the sharp seashells that will cut my foot. They're not protecting me from getting salt water in my eyes. They're not protecting me from the wave that's going to crash onto me, knock me down. They're not protecting me from that, are they? That's not their job description, nor do I want them to. If such a lifeguard existed, they would be a real pain in the rear. They would just be like, whoa, 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 whoa. X-ray vision, there's a jellyfish five feet in front of you. Get out of the water right now. I don't want to know that. They say like, oh, the waves are getting too big. Now God will blow his whistle if you get too far out, won't he? And God will save you if you're drowning. But he's not gonna just protect you from all of the dangers that are implicit in this life in which we live. So it's not as if we'll never slip. It's not as if nothing bad will ever happen to you. But it is a sense in which he will guard you. He will watch over you in this life. On Mondays, our youth group is going through the book of First Peter together in a Bible study. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, it says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We will have trials in this life. That is a promise from Scripture, promise from Jesus himself. I think the psalmist is trying to help us focus on the fact that not on the trials, not on the slips and falls. He's trying to say like, no, 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 no. You're not gonna fall off the edge, right? You have someone who's gonna guard you and protect you and preserve your life. You're not falling off the edge of the path. God will keep your life. And even if you lose your life, God will keep your life. He will guard your life. There are a lot of people listening right now in the room and online, and I don't know what you're going through. It can certainly feel like God has fallen asleep on the lifeguard stand while you are drowning in the ocean. That's a legitimate feeling. We could read various other psalms that would capture that feeling perfectly. But I think what the psalmist is trying to help us see is when you're in a desperate situation, when you feel like saying, God, you said you would keep me. You said you were watching over me, and I'm drowning right now. Psalm 121 is for here for us to read to give us some hope and to say, I know you feel that way, but here's what's true. I'm watching you. I see you. I know you. And you're right within my reach. And I know how it feels. But God is a comfort. God is a savior. God is a guardian. And he wants you to know that he is there. And listen, justice will come. Healing will come. 
Rescue will come. Restoration will come, not in our timeline, but in his. And so we trust in him, the creator of the universe, that he is good, that he is our guardian, that he will protect us and guard us. As the psalm continues, it says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, the moon by night. So the Lord is our shade. That's a metaphor that should resonate with us. We should be able to remember that, particularly on a hot summer uh, day when the sun is beating down on us. Oh, God is our shade. Now, the, the moon will not strike you by night. That's strange. If you're reading through it, that might cause you to wonder. It causes a lot of people to wonder. Bible scholars aren't really sure what it means either. Some think it's referring to like emotional or psychological disorder called being moonstruck. So maybe that's what it is. God is saying, if you're in your emotional disorders, I am there for you. Others think that in ancient days, people would have had a concern about too much exposure to moonlight. Um, others just think he's just being poetic, saying God is going to watch over you whether it's daytime or nighttime. Whether it's the moon or the sun, God's your shade. Again, having just come back from the beach, I can't help but lean into this metaphor of the sun is like brutally oppressive. It just drains you and zaps your energy. Every day when we would go out to the beach, we would stand there and we'd have the same ritual, lathered up in sunscreen and saying, oh, can you please stop? The kids would say it too. Um, <laughs> um, the sun is oppressive. I, I'm an umbrella guy. So I load up the cart for everything the family needs to head down to the ocean, and the critical piece, the boogie boards, the sand toys, and the umbrella. I gotta have an umbrella. I'm the type of person, I'm moving my chair all day to stay under the umbrella. My wife is the opposite. She's moving her chair all day, too, to stay out of the shade of the umbrella. So, which is fine, they're just different people. The sun is oppressive. One morning we got up, we went to the beach from the morning. We said, you know what, let's bike down the shore and get a, eat at this little restaurant on the shore. We're on the bikes, we go down there. Well, now it's like two o'clock and we're like, let's go a little further and go to where there's a sandcastle competition. And so we go down there. Well, now it's like 2.30. We've been in the sun all morning and all afternoon at this point and we start to melt. We start to melt down. We start to think that we might all die. Um, if we're just being cooked. The sandcastles were amazing. Um, but you're just being cooked on the beach and you can't get in the water. You have to go back to your bikes and we're just like, ah. And then we look over. The only shade available to us is the boardwalk. So we go, under the boardwalk, down by the sea. And then the song makes more sense. <laughs> when you're under the boardwalk, you're like, oh, that's why he wrote the song. Under the boardwalk is so shady and wonderful. And so we were there uh, experiencing the shade. God is shade on a hot summer day. Sometimes we feel drained. Sometimes our energy is just zapped. We just feel fried. And God is inviting you into his shade. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus got tired. He was a human being just like you and I. And at times when Jesus was tired, you know what he did? He went into the shade, meaning he got away from his disciples. He went out into a solitary place, and he spent time with his heavenly Father. You see, God is the shade at our right hand. God's saying, like, I'm shade, and I'm here. I'm right next to you. So I don't know where your shady spots are. I don't know if maybe you start your day in the shade. Maybe halfway through your day, you need a little shade. You need to remind yourself of what is true in the midst of your day. 
Maybe throughout your week, you need to be reminded of the shade that God provides to you. Hopefully, this Sunday morning experience is some shade in your week. Hopefully, there's a Bible study or a group that you're a part of where you can get a little bit of more shade. But God wants to be your shade from the oppressive heat that exists in the world that we live in. If we will avail him of that shade that he provides us. And then the psalm closes this way. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I like how it ends. I really think it ends you know, on a real crescendo, a real piece of clarity as to what the psalmist is talking about. He says, I will guard your life. I will keep your life. I will preserve your life. He's being very explicit here. He will not guard you from pain and heartbreak. He will guard your life. He will not protect you from ever breaking your leg. He will guard your life. And if you lose your life, he will keep your life. These are the eternal promises in Psalm 121. Sometimes we look to Psalm 121 and we get super frustrated because we're like, God, you said I wouldn't slip. God, you said that evil would never touch me. And God's saying, oh, I'm, I'm giving you eternal promises. I'm giving you eternal security. You will be safe with me. I will preserve you and guard you and protect you forever. And I'm guarding your life. And that's what he makes clear as he closes out the song. Even when we lose hope, even when we lose our life, he keeps it. But again, I can't read this psalm without stopping and saying, what does it mean that God will keep me from all evil? What does it mean that he'll keep you from all evil? Because listen, I've been around long enough, and you have too, where I can look at a situation and say, that's evil. And God did not protect that person from evil. That abuse happened. But this verse says that God will protect us from all evil. So you've got to wrestle with that for just a minute. And I think the way that scripture oftentimes makes sense is if we read it in light of Jesus. And so let's think about Jesus for a moment. You know what was evil? To beat an innocent man. And it was evil to drive nails into the hands of the Son of God. And it was evil to walk up to him while he was hanging on the cross and suffering and to mock him. That's evil. And that was the experience of Jesus. And so like Jesus, we have eternal security from the protection of God. He will keep our life. Even when we lose it, he will keep us from evil like he kept Jesus from evil. So what does that look like? Well, as we read through Scripture, listen, there's a theme. Psalm 23, maybe you're familiar with that. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Jesus taught us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, and deliver us from evil. Jesus prayed in John 17 for you and I, his followers. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I ask that you keep them from the evil one. So the sense in which of scripture gives us is there's evil all around us and we're gonna walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we're gonna feel this evil around us as we go through life but we're gonna know that God is with us and he's gonna protect us from evil and then I mentioned this two weeks ago there's a wonderful book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction written by Eugene Peterson where he talks about the Psalms of Ascent and this is what he writes all the water and all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside 
nor can all the water in all the world harm us unless it gets inside. So this metaphor, I think, might be that Jesus is this ship, and we are in Christ, and the ship can't go down. We're afloat in a sea of evil. There's lots of good, but we're afloat in the sea of evil, and there are times in which the storms are just intense and frightening, and there's horrific catastrophes, and there are really sad things that happen, and heartbreak comes to us, and we are adrift on the sea of evil, but we are in Christ, and all the water and all the oceans of all the world cannot sink that ship because it cannot get inside. Why? Because he will keep me from all evil, like God kept Jesus, the Son, from all evil. He lost his life, but the Father kept his life, and he resurrected to new life. And that's the promise for us. The promise from 121 still stands. The promise from Romans 8 still stands. Listen to Romans 8. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor power nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will keep you, he will guard you, he will protect you now and forevermore as you come in and as you go out. He will guard your life. This is an eternal promise of security. And as you go from here, you can look to doctors to give you help. And they can and they will. But there's no doctor in the world that can save you and make you live forever. And as you leave here today, you can look for help in your relationships. But there is no eternal relationship other than Jesus Christ will meet your needs for now and into eternity. And so God is saying, listen, sing this song. Let your hearts be filled with an eternal hope. The troubles of life will come and they will go. And you will have eternal hope and conviction in the fact that God is guarding your life forevermore. And I know tragedies come, and they're desperate, and you can't see forward, but I can't think of anything that can get you through a desperate situation other than hope that there's something that transcends this evil that's oppressing me. And that's what Psalm 121 gives us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that this psalm can give us. And I pray, Lord, that it would give us hope. I pray, Lord, for everyone in the room and online that they would have an experience of that hope. Lord, I pray that each one of us would have trusted in you. You are our creator. And Jesus suffered great evil, but you preserved him from it. You guarded his life and you kept his life and you can do the same for us. I pray for anyone in this room or online, Lord, that is in need of help. I pray that they would turn to you for their help. Use us, Heavenly Father, as your, as your servants. We want to extend your help to others through your spirit that dwells within us. Give us eyes to see those opportunities as we go here from here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. If we can help you in some way this week, we want to be God's ambassadors. We want to extend that help to you, so reach out to us. But as we go from here today, out onto your way, may this be our benediction. May the Lord keep you this week. As you come in and as you go, may he not let your foot be moved, and may he keep you from all evil. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.